invite Matt up, who's going to do our reading this morning. If you have your Bibles to hand, please turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Thanks, Matt. Uh, This Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be giving in secret, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what you have done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others, other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others when... If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you've done in secret, will reward you. Thanks so much, Matt and Chris, for, for leading us and for the music team. It was beautiful to hear your voices and uh, playing this morning. Well, do keep your Bibles open in front of you. It's going to be really helpful as we go through this morning. I don't know whether you saw the, um, the Oprah Winfrey uh, interview that she did uh, a while back with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And no doubt you probably heard about it or read about it on the news somewhere. It was was quite an explosive interview uh, in quite a lot of ways. And it revealed much about, I guess you could say, the pressures uh, that existed between members of the royal family. You see, what that interview did was it brought to our attention something that maybe we couldn't see before. Uh, The interview showed us that the relationships that, well, we thought, and to our public uh, viewing when they were out in public and they were at events or they were at weddings or they were opening something here, there or everywhere, the relationship that looked like they were smiling together, this family that were united together, this family that almost had the the perfect life, you say, united in, in every sense, wasn't the family it seems, behind the palace doors. Behind the big, giant palace gates, there was tension and there was division. 
So much so that Harry and Meghan, they said they, they had to leave that. And they had to set up home on the other sides of the world because of the pressures that they felt. You see, what was evident to everyone in public was not the case behind closed doors. The relationship we thought they shared together was not the relationship they actually had, much like most families. And our passage this morning, in one sense, does a very similar thing. In one sense, it sits us down for a little interview. And it poses us the question, is our relationship with God that everyone sees on the outside the same when we close the doors behind us and we're in private? Now, maybe we hear that this morning, we're thinking, oh man, you know, this is already beginning to feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, it's so challenging, isn't it? And Martin Lloyd-Jones, even on our passage this morning on Matthew 6, he says this, he says, it's one of the most uncomfortable chapters to read in the entire scriptures. He said it probes, it examines, and it holds up a mirror before us that will not allow us to escape. Well, you know, it sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? But we should be reassured this morning that, do you know, the wonderful thing is as we read this passage, yes, it's challenging. It is very challenging. But Jesus doesn't say these things in order to condemn us. But he says it like a doctor in order to expose what is wrong, in order to bring about restoration. Because Jesus will show us in this part of the Sermon on the Mount he's taking us through is that how we relate to God in our private life, I guess you could say is the real measure of our spiritual health, of what our relationship with him is really like. Now, when I saw what my passage actually was this morning, the chapter 6, 1 to 18, I was thinking, dear me, there's so much here, isn't there? I mean, we've got stuff from giving and fasting and praying. We've got the Lord's Prayer itself. I mean, we could do a series of 10 just on that. And we've got one week. And we've got a few moments this morning to, uh, to cover the whole thing. And whilst we could spend loads of weeks going through it, actually, there is a benefit in doing it, covering this big passage in one week. Because actually, in zooming out on this passage, we get to see the the overarching themes that connect these passages together. These aren't just three separate teachings. This This is one unified weave that Jesus is taking us through in his Sermon on the Mount. I want us to see that together. It's an amazing part of this sermon. And we could do an in-depth study on giving and what that means and praying and fasting and what that means. But I'm almost certain that's not the point of Jesus' teaching. You see, these three examples are not chosen particularly because they are the most important uh, good deeds or acts of worship, you could say, that we could do. But because it seems in our passage These were the three most important things to the Pharisees. The Pharisees being the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they had huge influence. They had huge authority over the people in that day. And as we've been seeing over these past uh, few weeks going through the Sermon on the Mount, these people have been almost, as I heard one person say, weaponizing the law. They've been weaponizing it and using it against the people 
And yet Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he exposes their hearts. He exposes their hearts for what they're really like. Now, maybe when we uh, had our, heard our passage read out by Matt, thank you, we, began, we maybe noticed, as it was being read out, that there was this structure that holds these three things together. Uh, there's a repeated feature all the way through, and I just want us to see that as we go through, because it's going to be so helpful in understanding what Jesus is trying to say to us. So if you've got a Bible, do have it open as we look there. So do you notice how Jesus, he opens up each section by announcing us to not be like the hypocrites and showing what they do. So verse 2, look with me. Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Then down in verse 5, the next section, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And then in the last section, verse 16, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Jesus, he opens with this call, this, this example of what the hypocrite's doing, and then after he does that. After each opening, he then goes on to use this repeated phrase. End of verse 2, look with me. He says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And Jesus repeats that same phrase again in verse 5 and at the end of verse 16. And then the final part of each section that Jesus kind of uses to structure this sermon. He goes on to mention, well, how should we live in response. How, how should we live? And there's, there's this concluding verse that Jesus uses each time where he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we see that verse four, verse six, and at the last verse, verse 18. And as you look through it, it's a very clear structure, isn't it? Very clear structure. Jesus repeating themes all the way through and it's this overarching, interweaving theme through this part of the Sermon on the Mount that I want us to look at this morning because it takes us past the specifics of giving and the specifics of praying and the specifics of fasting and takes us to actually the real heart of the matter that Jesus wants us to show us. And as we do that, I've got three points for us this morning, three points that will hopefully help us as we go through our passage. And the first one is this, no whose approval you're seeking. Know whose approval you're seeking. I mean, this is really the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate. And our passage, I guess you could say, could be summed up by verse one, where Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And Jesus, throughout our passage this morning, he goes on to use example after example of showing how these Pharisees, those who practice their righteousness in order to be seen by those around. Jesus, he looks at them, he sees them, and he says, hypocrites. Hypocrites, and, and that word hypocrite, it, it's a Greek word. We might know what it means, obviously, from our English. We, it's quite common in, in conversation. But hypocrite is a Greek word to use to describe someone who was a stage actor, a, a theatre performer back then, 
as someone who did, you know, musicals, you know, Cats, Lion King, I don't think they were around then, but someone who would, who, someone who pretended to be someone they weren't. That was the heart of that word. And Jesus says to these people that he sees, you know, announcing their presence uh, on the street corners, that he sees praying wonderful prayers to be seen by everyone else, and he looks and he sees and he says, hypocrites, stage actors, fakers, pretenders. Jesus, he exposes the approval that they're craving. And it's not God's approval. It's everyone else around. Ironically, the religious leaders cared more about human approval than they did about God's. Their prayers weren't to God. They were to the ears of everyone around. Their fasting wasn't because they sought to seek God more earnestly. It was so they could be seen to be more holy than those around. Hypocrites, Jesus says. They're stage actors You might win an Oscar, you might win a BAFTA, but you get no recognition from God here. Hypocrites. It's often been said, hasn't it, that I even saw a a jumper, that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. It's quite a a common thing. We might have heard heard of that phrase uh, if we've been in church. Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I guess if there was any verse that you could use to prove that point, it would be this one, wouldn't it? I mean, if God were happy with just our religious acts, then he wouldn't be showing this to be wrong, would he? If all that mattered was going to church, then Jesus wouldn't have said this to be wrong. And yet a religious way of thinking about God, a religious way of relating to God can be so easy to slip into. It's an easy trap, isn't it? This stage acting. Especially maybe if we've grown up in Christian homes or, or maybe we've been a Christian for a long time now. You know, we know the lingo. We know how to go through a prayer meeting when our hearts aren't there. We know how to go to small group and recite Bible verses when we haven't read it for months. And suddenly what's left is not devotion for the approval of God, but for everyone else around. I kind of was thinking about this, and I want to give it a name. And I called it the Mrs. Bouquet Theology. Do you know, if we know that, maybe, maybe if I sort of, you might be surprised that I know what that TV program is. But, you know, Mrs. Bouquet, it was a TV show on, on BBC, Keeping Up Appearances. And this lady, Mrs. Bouquet, her name was actually Mrs. Bucket. But she loved to say that her name was Mrs. Bouquet because she wanted to give this impression to everyone around. And so her whole life was almost one of seeking the approval of all of these people. And uh, she kept her life almost hidden in one sense from what it actually was so that she could keep up appearances. It's a Mrs. Bouquet theology. And I might say just in this, just how personally challenged I am by this. The temptation to write sermons so that everyone will think better of you, maybe we're thinking this morning, Dan, you don't have to worry about that, don't worry. Um, But to pray for the ears of everyone in the room and yet not pray to the one person we're meant to be speaking to. Our faith can look great in public, but it's non-existent in private. It's a challenge, isn't it? Isn't this a challenge? Jesus doesn't want us to be stage actors. 
And yet if this is what Jesus is warning us in the Sermon on the Mount, if this is something that Jesus is saying is really easy to slip into this morning, the question must be, as we reach this point, how do we guard ourselves against it? How do we protect ourselves against religious hypocrisy? How do we protect ourselves from religious stage acting? How do we protect ourselves from a Mrs. Bouquet theology? How do we do that? How do we do that this morning? Well, Jesus, in that structure that we saw earlier uh, this morning, actually gives us two wonderful, helpful ways to show us how we can do that. How we can have a true, a living, and a thriving relationship with God that is just the same in private as it is in public. Jesus gives us two helpful things to do that. And the first thing, well, the second point is this. Know who sees everything. Know who sees everything. It's what Jesus repeats three times in our passage this morning. Verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18. Jesus says, then your father who sees what is done in secret. Jesus, he counters the religious hypocrisy that he sees by telling his disciples and those listening, you and me this morning, that a true living relationship with God starts by living for an audience of one. It starts by living for the approval of the only one who really matters when it boils down to things. And if we struggle living out our faith, maybe we struggle with this sense of keeping up appearances for everyone else and yet actually it's not the same when we go back home, then actually start with this. Start by living and knowing the one who sees everything, the audience of one, the one who cares as much as what is done in private than in public. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says on this. He's wonderful. He says this amazing quote. He says, I sometimes feel that there is no better way of living and trying to live the holy and sanctified life than just to be constantly reminded ourselves of that. When we wake up in the morning, we should immediately remind ourselves and recollect that we are in the presence of God. It is not a bad thing to say before we go any further throughout the whole of this day, Everything I do and say and attempt and think and imagine is going to be done under the eye of God. He is going to be with me. He sees everything. He knows everything. There is nothing I can do or attempt that God is fully aware of it all. Thou God seest me, Lloyd-Jones says. And he finishes like this. It would revolutionize our lives if we always did that. (laughs) What an amazing quote that is. If we live knowing who sees everything and remember this, and surely at that point, surely when we recognize that, isn't that the moment that hypocrisy just vanishes? Isn't that the moment when our pride and our desire to almost exalt ourselves before others kind of just vanishes? I can't pretend with God. I can't pretend with God. He's not fooled by my religious stage acting. He can see right through it. And if I, I know, if I know that God knows, then why do I need to pretend to those around instead? Why do I need to pretend? 
And we might be thinking this morning that, that that just sounds a bit scary. Maybe it takes us back to times that we were maybe growing up and we sat in church and we're just told that, you know, God's watching over you and he's keeping a tally of, of everything that you're doing. But I want to say this morning just this fact that God sees everything that Jesus points us to. Do you know, I want to say that that is the freedom that actually I'm longing for in life. That is the freedom that I'm longing for, especially today. You know, one of the things that I find so ironic about our culture today is that we pride ourselves on individualism. That is, we don't care what anyone else thinks about us. That's what we say. And yet, we are a culture that only and ever obsesses about what other people think about us. I mean, one look on social media will tell us that. We say we don't care, but actually we all... We only and ever care. Isn't it ironic? One look through social media would tell us that. And we can feel this pressure, can't we, to to build an image for ourselves in the groups that we're in, the friends that we're around, that everyone around us will want to be like. And, And yet, when we do that and we build this image, the danger is that we constantly feel like a fraud, don't we? Mrs. Bouquet. We're keeping up appearances, but that's not actually who we are. And yet if we don't maintain this image that we build, well, we fear that we'll lose the approval of those around us. And so it leads us to being people that we're not. Leads us to living out a lie. And yet the fact that God sees everything, the fact that God sees everything, that means that there's nothing about me that God doesn't know. He knows all about my weaknesses. He sees all of my flaws. He sees all of my insecurities. He sees all of my anxieties. And yet the fact that God sees everything about me, he knows me completely and truly and as I am, and yet he still manages to show his love and his grace towards me, towards you this morning how amazing is that how liberating is that someone knows you and yet loves you we don't need to keep up the pretense we don't need to stage act the game's over God sees it all I'm free it's so free and especially in the culture that we live today it might sound scary but actually What a freeing perspective that is. And yet this is also a huge challenge. We can't get around that. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if we're aware of this, it would revolutionize the way that we live our lives. I mean, I just thought about one day that I live. If I was constantly aware of it, the decisions I make would probably be very different if I had that at the forefront of my mind each day. The sin that we think is secret is not hidden even down to our thoughts that are seen by God. It's no wonder that Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he said that quote, he ends this, this part by saying, for the man who starts with a true light realization of that is soon to be seen flying to Christ and his cross and pleading to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Know who sees everything. And so if we want to protect ourselves this morning from religious hypocrisy, of having as much a private faith as as we do a public one, then Jesus says, know who sees everything. Know who sees. And that brings us to our final, but the second thing that Jesus gives, which is know 
who's better at giving. Know who's better at giving. This is the second and the final thing that we're going to look at this morning. It's the second antidote that Jesus gives us. And that is to know that God gives far better gifts. Do you notice that theme coming up? Jesus contrasts it in this structure that he paints all the way through. So you've got this contrast where Jesus, he goes on to say, they, the hypocrites, they've received their rewards in full, And then, at the end of verse 4, end of verse 6, and end of verse 18, Jesus says, And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There's a contrast here. And yet we might be thinking this morning, maybe we kind of wrestle when we hear that. Maybe we struggle at hearing that there are rewards that are given by God. I know, surely we're people who believe in grace, aren't we? You know, we believe that we can't get anything from God. We don't deserve anything. There's, there's no good deed that any of us could ever do to get into heaven. We believe that, right? But rewards surely imply that we can. We can do something to receive something from God. Is that what it's saying? But do you see in our passage the nature of these rewards? Do you see the nature of these rewards? Who gives these rewards? Jesus says, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. How important it is, how important the identity of the giver is to understanding the nature of the reward. If it said, if your employer who sees what is done in secret will reward you, then yes, we could say we're working towards something, but a father who rewards is totally different, isn't it? It's totally different. A fatherly relationship with a child is a, is a grace-based relationship. You know, it might be this morning that we're, we're here and we think, you know, it was an utter privilege for our parents to have raised us. Maybe we're thinking that. It was probably a, an honor for them to have raised Thanks, Mum. Cheers, you know. Um, there we go. But do you know, None of us got the job of son or daughter, whether that was by birth or adoption, whatever it might be, none of us got the job of son and daughter by anything we did, did we? We didn't do anything. None of us earned the right to be in the families that we are. We didn't have a great CV that our mum and dad thought, yeah, that looks good, yeah, I'll take them. No. We got into our families by sheer grace, didn't we? We did nothing. A son and daughter doesn't please their parents in order to earn their place in their family. They please their parents because they're in the family already. God is our father. And this is going to be such a big theme as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. God is our father. What a glorious thought that is. Not our employer. God is our father. And his rewards are fatherly rewards. And they're also future rewards. I think we see that from our context of the next passage. Uh, The next passage on verse 19 and onwards, we see that Jesus kind of really focuses that these rewards are are future rewards. Rewards when we finally are with our Father forever in heaven. But you see, this morning, Jesus has also introduced us to these Pharisees, haven't we? We've been seeing them this morning. And they sought and they chased after the praise of people around them. That's what they wanted. That's the gift 
that they wanted. That's the prize that they wanted because they thought it would be so good. And yet, it is such an empty way of life, isn't it? I remember someone said to me, if you live for people's acceptance, you will die by their rejection. And yet, Jesus here liberates us from that. He says we have a father. We didn't earn our place there. We're already accepted. We're already loved. And his rewards are better rewards. He gives better gifts, not based on the level of popularity that we have, on the number of Instagram followers that we have, or the shifting trends of our culture. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. It stays constant. How liberating is that? Our loving Heavenly Father seeks a personal relationship with each one of us. Private, public, wherever we are. And God gives better gifts than the emptiness of people's praise. Do you know, we need to hear that in our culture today. God gives better gifts than seeking the praise of people around. You can choose either between the fleeting approval of human beings or coming to know the steadfast, the unchanging love of a father that you will spend forever with, the one who made you. There is no greater, more valuable opinion than that, is there? But we might be thinking this morning, do you know, this is great, Dan. It sounds so freeing, and yet it sounds like a massive burden to live like this. It sounds like a massive burden, doesn't it? We might say, how can I live this out when I do feel like such a hypocrite? That was the question that I was asking myself as I was preparing this. Lord, this feels like a burden. I feel like a hypocrite when I read this. Well, you know, that's why we need to look to Christ, which is what our whole passage is about. He's not just telling us the sermon. He's pointing the sermon to himself as we read through. We need to look at Christ. You know, often people, when they're, they're looking in on the Christian life, often they'll, they'll make their evaluation on Christianity, on the lives of Christians. You know, I had one person come to me and they said, Dan, do you know, I don't think I've met every Christian I, I've met has been a hypocrite, hasn't lived out what they said. And you know, maybe we're watching this morning, maybe we're here listening, and maybe that's our stumbling block too. Maybe we're looking in on Christianity, we're exploring things, and we just say, yeah, but I know Christians, and they don't live out. We've, been, we've had experience of religious stage acting, of Mrs. Bouquet theology everywhere, and it scars us, it holds us back. But you know, that is why, that is why it is so important for us as Christians to really take hold of this firstly. People are watching and they are looking for stage acting, but it's more importantly to say this morning that if we are looking in on Christianity, if we are wanting to make our assessment of it, then we do not get a good understanding of it if we're looking at the lives of flawed Christians We truly evaluate Christianity when we look at Christ. Do you know what's amazing as we do that? I love doing it. We're going through Christianity Explored at the moment uh, with Phil. And uh, we're going through Mark's Gospel and we read through the life of Jesus. And you know, as we do that, hypocrisy doesn't even touch Jesus. Isn't that amazing? When you read through his life, 
Hypocrisy doesn't even touch him. From the start to the end, someone who does what they said, someone who walks what they talk, someone who isn't a stage actor or a pretender, someone who tried to be something that it weren't. No, Jesus stayed true, even at the cost of the approval of everyone around him. Someone having told his disciples earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then who hung on a cross, tortured, naked, stripped, beaten, everything. And he had people standing in front of him, his enemies hurling insults at him. And yet on that cross, when he was experiencing his enemy's wrath, his enemy's pain, what did he use his last agonizing breath to say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hypocrisy doesn't even touch Jesus. He walked what he talked. And you know, he bled and he died on that cross so that hypocrites like me, like us, stage actors, who don't ever deserve God's approval, could be forgiven, could have it washed away. And we could be brought in from having to seek people's approval to knowing the Father's approval and the Father's love and have a relationship with him that does not exist from 9.30 to 10.30 on a Sunday morning, but carries on every minute of every single day of the week, 24-7. We are with God. We are known by him. We are loved by him. And we have a future with him forever through what Jesus has done. So this morning, know whose approval we're seeking. Know who sees everything and know who's better at giving. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Father, forgive us for the times that we're not talking to you, but we're talking to everyone else. Forgive us, Father, when our faith is for the benefit of everyone else in the room and not enjoying that relationship with you. Father, would you protect us by your Holy Spirit from this hypocrisy? Would you protect us from stage acting? And Father, would you help us to know and to cherish and to treasure this relationship that you offer us? This relationship, Lord, where you see everything. We don't have to pretend with you. We come as we are. And we thank you, Father, that you don't leave us as we are. And you mold us and you change us and you shape us to be more like Jesus, the one who never, never, never did anything that he didn't say. Father, we thank you for him and that by him we are brought into this relationship. We are forgiven, we are restored. And we pray in his name this morning. Amen.